0: I must not fear. Fear is the mind-killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain.
1: In three, two, one, engage.
0: Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. And I'm Scott Herzog.
1: And I am Jim Arrowwood, and we also- and you're not.
2: Oh, okay. Whoa! 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 whoa. <laughs> whoa. I, I guess I. Oh, I guess it's time for me so to exit that. the show. One so enjoy you, uh, enjoy Jim Arrowwood. <laughs> yeah. Goodness, uh,
0: this uh, is, so that, that was such a shock to my system. This is so, the Jim uh, Arrowwood show. <laughs> yeah, the Jim Arrowwood show. We want to uh, also say hello to all of our friends from the Orbital Sword who may be joining us in this crossover episode between our different podcasts
2: so we're crossing streams <laughs>
0: yeah unlike the ghostbusters we're not afraid that's Cross- right, no. that's right. <laughs> yeah. so uh on this episode we are going to be reviewing duke of caladan by brian herbert and kevin j anderson the absolute newest dune novel uh in the series uh this book takes place almost immediately after house carino um if i'm if i'm correct i think house carino ends with duke leto going um <laughs> About to leave on a trip for the to, to go do something for the emperor. And then this takes up right when he's about to go see the emperor and do it. Uh, brief summary is we got a bunch of different plot lines going on here. A lot of tension go uh coming in with the uh kind of the Duke building up his favor in the lancered while uh Maheshadam is getting more jealous and more uh conniving with how to get money out of the spice. We also see the Harkonnen's like starting to realize that they can, they can do things to get more money out of the spice and how can they manipulate, uh, manipulate those numbers. And then we have a new faction for all of the books that we've not followed before. We get a storyline behind Chome with some hidden, uh, agendas on how they want to kind of take down the M and, and what they want to do there and how they're going to try and, and get a hold of the spice for themselves. So, uh, that is a super brief summary because we'll go over all of these details, I'm sure, uh, as we continue on. Um, Duke has his own. Duke later's got his own subplot where uh, there's a drug being smuggled out of Caldan that is killing people that he didn't know about, and he's on the hunt to shut it down. Also, he wants to hook his son up with a lady and make her uh, the new make his new heir have uh, some longevity. So yeah. <laughs> anything to add, guys? Did I miss anything? Sounds pretty good.
1: Yeah. Building building ambitions is what we got going
0: on. <laughs> yeah. This this book is is a hundred and ten percent a building block. <laughs> it, yeah. Well we'll get into impressions and thoughts where I'll talk more about thoughts. so
2: So yeah. uh Let's talk about impressions and thoughts. So, uh, Jim, why don't you start us out, since you have a little bit of an impression here?
1: Yeah, it, it was a great book, okay? I, re- I really enjoyed it. Didn't quite know what to expect. Um, uh, Just, and so much going on. Um, But what I didn't know, I didn't pre-read anything or find anything on it. I had no idea what it was going to be, and now I, uh, you know, after I read it, I find out it is a direct um, line to Frank Herbert's Dune. Yeah. And so it'll be really, it's really neat to watch how things are setting up and falling into place. So, great book.
0: Yeah. it, it When, when uh, House Carino ended, there was one year... <laughs> before i believe it's one year before dune takes place and then this
2: these three books will cover that one year mm-hmm. yeah. so uh david since you were uh sharing there what, what what were your thoughts of this book going into it well <laughs> um i gotta say i was i was pretty
0: disappointed uh i feel like it was a it was it was fairly weak um mostly because I feel like this book lessens the characters. I know that some people say that the house books did that for them, but I really think that the, I like the house books and I think that this is the first one that really did that for me and the, like the the house books pushed it a little bit, but it's almost like when you start Dune, that the the Atreides are, are meant to be like the everyman. They're way more relatable. Sure they're sure they're like uh you know they're they're like aristocrats, but still like you know uh, Paul is kind of like uppity and 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 kind of fool of himself, and the Duke is just this like really strong father figure type guy, like strong leader. But it's almost at this point like too many things are happening to them, too many events. Like it's it's only a year before the events of Dune. And we had all these things happen in the house books. And then it's like, they can't just have like a time of transgression. There's just a lot of like, everything is super high stakes from the, that they're, that they're surviving. It's too much that it takes away from like the, to me, the, the like fantasticness of having this semi, semi normal regal family get thrust into this very fantastical adventure that then spawns from Dune on, uh, it just, t- it just took away from, from that as far as the Atreides storyline goes. Now, the ha- House Harkonnen and the Carino storyline and Chom stuff, I found all of that very, very interesting. If this book was not centered around Duke Leto and just centered mostly around those guys, I think it would have done much better, which makes me wonder if this book is centered around Duke Leto just to get him out of the way so that the next two books could be centered around their own, like the other group factions. And uh not spend as, nearly as much time with him uh forward, so I don't know i like it, it, I don't dislike the book like anything crazy or anything I just I was let down uh felt like they're taking away from from some of my loved characters so
2: all right, so uh David, tell me how you really feel yeah uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I wrote it in my diary, and I won't share.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm gonna. I can see your point. All right. Um, because when you start Dune, the first time you pick up Dune, right, and especially if you haven't read any of the prequel books, right, when you pick up Dune, there's a sense of mystery mm-hmm. that you get. Both of Harkidan and of and of the atreides, and you're on a voyage of discovery not only the 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 espionage and the and the and the deceit and the treason and the politicalness of the story but you're also on a journey of discovery for those characters throughout right. the book, so what this book does is it says, okay, all that stuff that you kind of imagined in your head, we're going to now pull back the veil and tell you a little bit more about what this family was like before they got to Kalanad. Uh I mean, before they got to um, Dune, you know? And, and so any sort of idealization that we've had of these families, in a sense, that sense of mystery, of intrigue that they've kind of held for us, um we now begin to see them as being a pretty normal aristocratic family probably going through like this book was very political the maneuvering and everything else that was happening um and it was very believable that this is a sort of a struggle this family would be going in right um that they would be dealing with this this whole political um you know maneuvering both through like the marriage of Paul and then you know, the going of the outs with the the Gesserit's and then Jessica and the Bene Gesserit's maneuvering, and and then, you know, you know, uh, Duke Leto trying to investigate the drug. Like all of that seems very much, this is what a Duke would do, right? Uh, and so it, it's fascinating to see this sort of intricate workings of the dukedom on Caligdon, right? Uh, and also to see the the, e- the the egotisticalness of the emperor, you know, put out like here's a museum that he created just for me and my machinations. Look what I've created. And of course, you know, kind of pissing off chome and the whole the whole the whole the whole you know get-go. I there were parts of the story that I liked more than others, but one of the signs for me that I really loved this book was when I got, I did not realize, first of all, I did not realize that this was a trilogy. Okay. And I got to the end and I realized they were ending the book where they ended it. And I almost like, I almost cursed. I was like, so like, (laughs) I cannot believe they're leaving me hang here because I was that (laughs) into the story. You know, I, it, it grabbed me in such a way that I wanted to know more. I wanted to see what was happening next. And so the fact that, you know, curse you, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson for making this a three-part book because I wanted more to the story. And so for me, you know, you're going to ask me a rating at the end. And and while there, while maybe not a perfect book, I loved this book. It's going to be a five for me because of the way it left me hanging at the end. But that's why. It's because of the way it... It captured me, and 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 while I understand, David, why maybe it feels this way for you, for me, this is this grabs me maybe in a little bit different of a way. So,
0: I think I just, I I think I just had questions about. Well, okay, I I really like a lot of the the stuff you were talking about with the Duke, where he's like, uh, kind of getting getting uh paul a wife and like working on that kind of stuff i i like the idea of finding out why the lancerette likes him so much uh because that like why the emperor would be jealous of him what i i don't think i needed was duke leto the hero again like what, they are do, you talking
2: about when he saves the uh emperor yeah like when he saves the emperor well doesn't it then, give, doesn't it give him reason to like for the emperor to owe him and therefore give him Arrakis in the end?
0: Well, I mean, he gives him Arrakis as a betrayal. Like, it's he does, because I remember at the beginning of the of Dune, he doesn't know why he was given Arrakis. He's he's like, you know, this is a trap. Like, I shouldn't have been given this. I think he's going to be given, he gets it's going to be the drug thing that really pulls him into a good standing with Because right now, at the end of this book, He's not in good standing with the head. and if if that rescue was supposed to do that, then they wouldn't have done the drug st- plot line. Um, so I think they should, should have done one or the other, either the either the big save at the beginning or the drug plot line, which I feel is a better plot line. But him being too much of the hero, like him becoming a superhero, is is a little bit much for the character to yeah. me. It takes It takes away. Uh, the uh, the other thing that I kind of questioned about this is like Dune kind of makes it out to be like um the Carinos and the Harkonnens have both been squandering and away spice and and they've been at this like scheme for years and years and years. But the way the book, this book lets it out is like it just occurred to them to start skimming the top. And that's kind of a little iffy to me. Mm. So I'm, I'm going to weigh in.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. Tag. All right. Uh, Duke Leto is my favorite character of all time. <laughs> and to have him save the emperor, okay, I'm cool with that. But what I saw in this story with with the Duke was he was just an, a, a regular guy. You know, he happened to be the Duke of Caladan. He was happy with that he was happy spending his life with with Jessica and hanging out with his people and and being like them and not ruling with a heavy hand and then he started to change and he became more ambitious wanting a bigger role in the galaxy okay and he is so Popular. He is such a good person and everybody likes him so much. Shaddam is scared.
0: That, Not yet, but yeah.
1: That Duke Leto could wind up being emperor over him. I mean, you can see this coming already. And, you know, so, so Leto says, well, you know, geez, we got to get, we got to get Paul betrothed to someone important. And so they try, you know, um, they try this Junu verdune and her father slaps him down. I mean, how why would I let my daughter marry your dog? I mean he isn't even legit. you know, Oh man. that that was a cold slap in the face. And that is where Leto turned. And his relationship with Jessica got strained. And he decided, well, you know, I guess in order for me to do right by my planet, by by my son, I'm going to have to get more involved with what's going on here. Right. And that scares the hell out of everybody.
2: So I think in part, it's not, he is getting a little bit more ambitious. And I think that this is in check by the time we hit Dune, or at least seems to be, Um but you understand, especially after being, you know, turned down for his son for someone that seemed to be an equal match. Uh, you 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 know what you know what he really needed, David and Jim. He needs Kiefer. Kiefer gives some <laughs> great dating advice and great marriage <laughs> advice as an eighth grader. I'm sure that he could have helped the Duke of Caladon. No doubt. Yeah, because if you, <laughs> so. If for those of you who don't know that Kiefer gave was trying to give and my wife, and I some great dating advice and marriage advice as an eighth grader. It was it was very funny. Oh so. boy, how come you didn't
1: get that on tape, man?
2: Uh, well, I did. I did post it on Facebook, uh, but whatever. So I will make sure to tell the Duke the next time I see him that they should be consulting Kiefer. <laughs> I'm sure that he can help him in this whole issue with Paul. Well there you
1: go. You know, you got Duke, Lady, Lady Jessica, Paul, and Kiefer. That's right. <laughs> Kiefer right in there. Yeah. He can he can uh he can advise everybody. He can help Duncan Idaho and Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Definitely. <laughs> yeah. But all right. Well, very good. Well let's uh I guess uh, we're kind of talking about some of this stuff, but let's uh jump into I guess character and places, Jim.
1: Yeah okay well we we talked about Duke I, I at least I did and um we have all the all the usual characters in in Duke Lido's circle uh, the lady Jessica Paul Duncan Gurney Thufur, and Doctor Wellington
2: can can we talk let's talk, so we did talk about Duke can I talk just a little bit more about Duke sure so uh, for anyone. Did he seem to turn a bit quickly on Jessica? I mean, we get this one, one incident of, you know, she forges the names, and then this, of course, causes him this great debacle, and she can't tell him this because she's, like, sworn to secrecy, and he's well aware she's a Bene Jesuit. I mean, that's nothing new to him. But somehow this becomes a real big sticking point. And um, I get it. And part of it's because this is a threat now to his ambition, but he seems awfully willing and quick to like cut her loose.
1: Well, see, now what I got out of this was, yeah, he's upset. He's, he's, and he has every right to be right. However, however, don't forget that the Bene Gesserit are meddling in their relationship pretty heavily, they want the, the Bene Gesserit want them broke up and so they are working really hard to drive a wedge between Leto and Jessica.
2: So so for you you viewed it less as being an issue between the Duke and Jessica more that Jessica's being kind of set up to have this happen. Yes she's, well,
1: think... she's being set up big time, both of them are.
2: I don't think they want them broke up because they
0: repeatedly say Hell, if they wanted them separated, they, they would be.
2: Well, that's, con- least, that's a consistent at threat. Least, at least may- maybe the one Bene Gesserit wants them broke up. The one that one that's kind of an the crazy old, one. Yeah, the crazy one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: She well, you, you see, they cannot just come out. The Bene Gesserit cannot just walk in and say, "Okay, uh, Jessica, your time's up here. You come with us. You're done now."
2: Well, of course uh, they can. They yeah, can. They can. Well
1: but that no they can't because if they do that they're gonna make a enemy out of the out of Duke Leto. So what they want to do is they want to manipulate things so Leto kicks her out.
2: And I, says, I didn't see know, that at all. But say, you you get out of here. Well, but he does not trust the Jesuit. period like yeah. he trusts Jessica a little bit but now that's of course in question but it's, he repeatedly makes it clear that he does not trust the the machinations and the um the in the Bene Gesserit so like the fact that they pulled Jessica out and that this happened i think is detrimental to the Bene Gesserit cause in in at least the House Caledon, in my opinion mm-hmm.
0: well, this is all stemming from stuff from the house books and his trust with the Benny Gesserit in that, and then the big deal he made about not being betrayed by Jessica and there and feared it and she promised not to. I, I think that the the big wedge here is because is partially because stuff that happened in those books, but partially because of the implication of how much with how much ease she did the forging and with how and they even they even say it and how how he realizes By the way that she's expressing her her conviction over what she did, that it is something that she could she could have easily have been doing. It's implied that she that he thinks because of this one occasion and how easily she did it that she has been doing this type of stuff for some time now, and yeah, and that he just hadn't picked up on it. And so it's more in, in his mind. It's more of a question of how long has she been doing this. And instead of just like she did this one thing.
1: But, but this storyline though is not going to last long. Oh no, no. Because in, in Dune, any, any hint of, of the two of them being, being upset with each other was completely gone. Oh yeah. So this is going to get resolved. And I think it might be resolved in the next book, which is, uh, the lady of Caladan. And that'll be out like mid September because I just pre-ordered it today.
0: <laughs> nice. Did they put a name for the third one? Did you see that or not?
1: The third one is Paul of Caladan. Oh, okay. So uh, at least that that's what that's what I think it is. So they're they're covering they're covering Caladan, but I mean they're bringing in all these other things.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Is there is there anything else in in on the Caladan front we need to talk about?
0: Well, I- I, I, I like getting a little bit more of a look into Jessica's betrayal of the Benny Gesserit because in Dune, it's basically just like she had a, she had a son and she raised him when she wasn't supposed to. And she trained him like she wasn't supposed to. And that's mm-hmm. the big betrayal, which is huge, but right. what we're also seeing here, I think with her getting called back, she's going to be given more instructions that she breaks that makes the, because right now she's still semi loyal to them. And I think by the time Dune starts, the, the break's going to be much more drastic from, yeah from the benny Gesserit.
1: Yeah. well she's I, I think she's running interference for for lido yeah uh, yeah trying to trying to keep trying to keep the Bene jesuit and lido apart and and not get into a fur ball between just them
2: so because yeah. because that would not end well. Well, I, and I think the only other thing that I like to talk about is for me you, you really get into see Paul as a uh as kind of a kid that's growing up with his own desires. He's having these premonitions of Chinieri really, already, you know, you know, here in this book he's kind of deal with that and then um he's also trying to prove his manhood and frustrated by the fact that he's a duke's son doesn't have a lot of choice in who he marries at least at this point um some of my favorite scenes of course is when he's climbing up the cliff wall and duncan joins him and he's you know he's he has these rites of passage that he's trying to accomplish and um you know he's he's trying, you know him navigating the electrical storm you know all these types of things kind of set him in so I like the way they're kind of exploring him as a as a young teen trying to establish his 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 way in the world and some of this stuff are echoes of things that you then eventually see happening in Dune of him navigating. Not the electrical storms over the ocean or the Elcoron or whatever the Elcoron, whatever they're called um but the uh but then in the like the sandstorms and learning to navigate them is not unlike it, so there's kind of echoes and foreshadowings of stuff that we eventually see in dune, and, and i did like I did like that in Paul
1: isn't he also uh on a quest to prove to Leto that that he is? capable of taking over
2: as absolutely. the next Duke. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, this is kind of his, it seems to be the thing that he's his mission is like, I want to prove that I'm worthy of the Duke's son because he doubts it in himself. And so some of this stuff that he's doing is, is a way to say, I'm proving to him that I'm able to be the Duke's son, that I'm able to run Caledon especially.
1: See, and, I, and I seem to remember that him actually saying that to yeah. whom I don't remember probably Duncan but
2: yeah well, he, he definitely voices it.
1: Yeah. Okay. How about uh Shaddam Corino the <laughs> 4th? We have Count we still have Count Fenring running around and then we have this goofy failed Mentat. And I I found him kind of fascinating. Yeah, Rick's,
2: I like him. Dardick. Yeah. He, was
1: Dardic.
2: yeah. he was, um <laughs> Yeah. I like it. I like him a lot. Yeah. And I liked, Scott. I liked, I like Fenric. I like Fenric in here. Um, uh, you know, we, we get a little bit more of him and his wife, but him as this mediator between the, the emperor and what's happening on Dune and both with the, them trying to figure out him trying to navigate a course, um, the Harkin and then the smugglers and the whole, uh, you know, one of the most terrifying scenes is of course, when they, uh, when they stake that smuggler's wife out in the middle of the, the dunes and they, you know, they put a thumper out there and then a worm comes and swallows her up. Uh, it was a pretty, uh, you know, you, you know, what you visualize, it's pretty like, that's a pretty uh, startling, alarming scene. And one of the more uh, visceral and um, visual scenes in there. And, you know, totally within Fenric's character to have that happen. And it was, um, yeah. And, uh, that's in one of the other books though. That, that whole, that whole thing,
0: the whole, like he, he tells that story and I don't remember which book it is, but that's like, I was reading and I was like, "Ah, this, this has happened before. And it somehow that story is recounted in in a later book.
2: It might be. Yeah. Yeah, but I, uh, but I, but it was, it was, you know, being here and it was, uh, I had forgotten that. So for me, it was like, oh, a new story. You know, I just turned 50. I can't remember stories, but.
1: Staben Tuix, he was the one that, uh, that got staked out. Esmar yep. Tuix's wife. He's a, sm- a spice smuggler. Yep. Trying to prove that, you know, oh, we're honest and he sacrifices his wife.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, that was that, 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 that was, that was with son. I about a messed up relationship. I mean, he's a his wife's pregnant with his son's uh, baby, and it's a wow, that's a screwed yeah. up family. Yeah, a one screwed up
1: family for sure.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, you know, who fascinated me though was Arikatha Shaddam's wife. Yes, what a manipulative person, <laughs>
0: undercover
2: Benny Jessup.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I mean,
2: and it, doesn't she have ties to chome, too is that right she, if I remember correctly uh
0: not her the she's she the the Benny hit her, like created her for right the, to, but she but has, the,
2: the, she has connections somehow too
0: I thought the 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 lady with the Chome is like she was married to a guy and killed him it's like yeah. a different yeah, the, the daughter but I Malina, really
1: Melina Aru. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really liked, uh, count Hasmir Fenring a lot. Like, uh, in this, uh, I, I, I was reading it and I was reading it too slow. So I wound up listening to it and I don't know if you listen to the audio book or not, Scott, but the, the way the guy read count Hasmir is way different than he's written or read in any of the other books. Usually his, his are like yeah. really, really awkward and don't really like Fit, and that's part of what makes him really weird but the way this guy read it and I think part of how it was was written made the count come across much more like conniving and stuff his his hmm seemed more like than than just like a, a crazy n- nervous tick that he did so <laughs> I, I, I really I, I like that because it just made it gave count Fenring like so much more uh, of a conniving personality yeah.
2: No, you know what? And I agree. It's 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 the same. It's uh, with Scott Brick that reads them and he's a phenomenal re- reader. He's read most of the Dune books, if not all of them. And he uh and so but it was just neat to see there was a little bit of a change in the way it of Fenring. So I do uh yeah. I do agree with that.
1: Yeah. So yeah. And then we have uh oh, the Harkonnen's big surprise here, guys. Spoiler alert. Harkonnens are 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 shaving spice off the top and what? having it smuggled away. No big reveal here.
2: They would <laughs> never do that.
1: That's Imagine unprecedented. That. Yes. <laughs> Not so, these guys. No, they're they're just wonderful people. Uh yeah. There's really no talk about the Harkonnens and the uh, Atreides. Being at odds here, the Harkonnens are doing their own thing. They are they are stockpiling their own little bit of spice, and it seems like it seems like Shaddam knows this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then send he sends Fenring to make sure to let them know that yeah okay fine this you you can do this but not too much. Yeah kind of thing so you know I, I I didn't think they played a huge part uh, other than that or until of course the CHOM president Ma, Malina Aru arrives on the scene and we start making deals right yes and you know she is she is acting like she is uh Loyal to Shaddam, but she isn't. She's playing both sides against the middle, with her son, Jackson, just absolutely turning into a fanatic, trying to eliminate the government. Mm-hmm.
0: This this is the this is the first book. Correct me if, if I'm wrong. I think this is the first book where Chom has a full plot line dedicated straight like. We've never, it's always Chom's always been a threat, and they have always like, you have to check with Chom. Like, it's been this big thing that everyone that kind of holds everyone accountable, or they want to, they don't want to upset them. But I feel like this is the first time we've actually got to see the inner workings of Chom and like their real objectives are instead of just being thrown in the lot with like, oh, Chom and the, and the, the spacing guild, we both have to, we have to keep them all happy because it's like a, a five tier power struggle between all the people to, Kind of keep balance to the worlds
2: this is a yeah great, we're get this is a great storyline of Chom I mean the uh you have the emperor you know kind of take over us a, a world that they've they kind of own and they have, kind of have this whole shrine there to the family and then basically you know the emperor comes in and puts uh you know paves over puts up a strip mall and and uh <laughs> and then uh, and they and they get kind of pissed about it and you know and you kind of like and you kind of get that, and it was it's like the it's like the tipping point for for Cho who's who doesn't really like the emperor anyways but it's kind of played along with the emperor and it kind of pushes his whole organization the shadow organization that's kind of behind the scenes that Cho's been kind of financing of disgruntled people that kind of want to break up the um the federation or the 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 em the the empire i guess and and mm-hmm. uh, you see the kind of playing out here. And I found that storyline kind of fascinating. And within that, they have, they have this, you know, Jackson Aru who's kind of these, who kind of is this, um, this radical, like a radical faction within the group that they're figuring out how can we use what this guy's done to our benefit. Um, And so he was a, he really was a fascinating character uh, that, as, especially the conversation he has with the Duke on Caladan, It was kind of a interesting and then to see him, his tie with the, with the Caladan drug, like that whole storyline is fascinating to me. And it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the future books.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Definitely the storyline I'm most excited about for sure. Yeah.
1: So we have the Benny Jesuit, uh, uh, Helen Mohiam, she's right in the middle of everything as usual. We have Mother Superior Harishka and the the one that seems to be old and senile who who is insisting that Jessica and Leto be broken up, Lethea. Right. So the
0: the, the Reverend mothers are no, like, (laughs) mystery to us. Right, no. We've been down this path a million times, but the thing that I I really liked about this story, and it was a small moment, probably one of my favorite moments in the book because it was so shocking that it happened, is we always hear about voice, right? Right. And they're going to use voice. It's always a threat. And when they use it, it's always, like, kind of a small thing. Stop what you're doing or, or leave or don't talk or that kind of thing. But here,
2: Lithia uses it to make a girl commit suicide. Yeah, right bashes, her. bashes her head in the corner of yeah. a brick, and it's like, oh, yeah. yeah.
0: And she favorite, <laughs> part, <laughs> favorite part
2: of the Bene Gesserit for me.
0: She makes the other girl film it. Uh, like She makes one girl film it while the other girl just smacks her head on this corner of this brick it's, until she can't smack it anymore.
2: It's, it's great. Yeah. The, the other girls here, like, yeah, YouTube. Let's put it up, YouTube. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> We're going viral. <laughs> <laughs> boop, boop, Instagram. Instagram.
0: Yeah, but I just thought this is like the most craziest way we've seen voice use that I can remember. Uh, it's not just like a simple like. She really has so much power in it. She just took these two girls over completely. Yeah, yeah.
2: It yeah, shows, that it was shows, it that sh- was brutal. It, yeah, and it shows how dangerous she is. And suddenly, like everyone's like giving her distance now because she's done this, and so she's really kind of the she's probably the most fascinating for me at the Bene Gesserit because you just don't know, you don't know really what her motive is. You got hints of it, but you also don't know like to what length she's willing to go. And yeah. it's just, and so for that, that is the part of the and Gesserit line that fascinated me. Otherwise this whole wheeling and dealing secret codes or signing through letter, like none of that's new. And, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and nor is it very interesting to me. Uh, but, but this is interesting. Like that part of it's interesting saying, okay, what are we gonna do with it?
0: Yeah. I mean yeah. Not, I think it's partially because we know where the Benny Gesserit storyline's going. Like they're not gonna stop Jessica. They're not gonna take Jessica away. They're not gonna
2: get Paul. I mean, all that happens in Dune. Right. So yeah, we know like,
1: yeah, we know what's going but, on.
2: But but yeah, that being said, like we could say that about this whole storyline. Like we know where this is gonna end up. They're gonna end up in Dune and whatever sort of Splits are in the family. Like Paul getting married. Like none of that's going to happen because we know what happens in Dune. But for me, it's the you know this these sorts of books are like the journey of how do we get there? Okay, yeah. we, it's, we, we put our fam, we put this family in crisis. How are they going to navigate in a way that leads us up to this
1: next book? It's like watching a train wreck in <laughs> slow motion. You right. know, you know this is going. What's going to happen? Right, and you can't look away. Right,
2: right, right. exactly. I, I, I mean
1: that. That's the way I look at this. This book and the next two that are coming. It's just, I know what's going to happen. I know the end of this story, but I can't stop looking. <laughs> So, yeah, so we have Duke Fausto Verdun. I can't remember what, what his planet was, but um, you know, isn't he or was it Lord Attic that had his planet blown out from under him
0: by Shaddam? I think it was Attic because okay, Fausto Verdun's the one that was the father of the girl, right?
1: Yeah, and he- you know they're shopping, they're shopping these girls to Paul, and Paul's like, Oh, yeah, well, that's not the one I was dreaming about, but yeah, I guess she's all right, you know, blah blah blah, and all this stuff. And and uh, he's just biding his time, and so Leto sends him the invite, and Verdun is like, hey, Forget you, buddy. Just no so you know,
2: the house for doing it, they run the planet dross, is there planet
1: dross? Okay. So, but, well, and then we have and yeah, Jessica, Lord course, Attic.
2: Jessica of course asks, "Doesn't that mean something worthless?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lord Attic, and he get he gets his planet blown out from under him.
2: So yeah, dude. And that 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 whole one of my favorite parts about that whole thing is when uh, they go in and the, the daughter is like thrown from the ramparts, right? And, and you see the conflict of that one soldier is just questioning. There's like an ethical quandary that he's wrestling with. And even after he's done it, he's doing what he's been commanded to do, but he's questioning whether that was the right thing to do. And I, I love that struggle, that tension between, here's what it was commanded to do between... I don't know if this is right and um I'm really feeling uneasy with it. I like that. Yeah. Well it's
1: been so long now. Why did why did Shaddam order the sacking of that planet?
2: I think he was asking I think he was ask he was getting ahead of himself.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think that's part of what it was. And like he, was thinking... he wanted more power than he was Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've got a note here, Kane Marek, I can't remember can't remember why I put him in here.
0: Kane Marek, I don't remember him. Yeah. Oh, is that
1: the, Oh, wasn't that the guy on Caladan that was running the uh running the drug?
0: Yeah, is that the I was gonna say is that the uh That's the talaxu. Uh, talaxu. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's the one running running the Caladan drug, the Alair. Is what it's called, but grown on ferns. So and it's
2: genetically l- altered, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So let's let's look at some story points here. We got I got under Lido. I got saves the day on Otorio. Paul's political betrothal. The war against Allaire, The 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 drug which we haven't talked a great deal about. And then his political ambitions and strained relationship with Jessica, which both of those we did. Yeah. So let's talk a little more about the war against the
2: Caladan the drug. Right. The Kal- Alar. So you know. Alar. Yeah, the that you know, first of all, the I love the fact that we, we got in here, we got to see we ought to see Leto being like Duke, like he realized he's a Duke of a planet and there's many people, many religions. And you see him honoring that with this one tribe, right? I forget the name of the tribe in the North um, who uses this LR to kind of, you know, as a part of their religious practices. And then he's going mm-hmm. at odds because people start dying from this alar. And at first he doesn't realize what's going on. Right. And, um, and uh, it's clearly there's a, there's a problem and then realize that it's not even that tribe at all. It's this whole other operation that's, this drug operation is happening and then discovering that's being intentionally genetically altered and that Caledon's being used as a launching point for it. This is a, I, I like the way this story kind of unfolded. Uh, well,
1: it just, it, it was just such a surprise to him. I mean, he heard, you know, he hears the first thing he hears about is this Caladan drug,
2: right? You know, one of the, one of the guys is, you know, one of the um, one of the nobles is pissed at him because someone died in his retinue, and suddenly he's accusing him of I, like providing this drug from Caladan. And he knows nothing about it.
1: You know, you know what? I think that was Lord Attic. Because his son, Raolin, was the one that died from the overdose.
2: Uh, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And
1: Verdun's planet is the one that got blown out from under him, Dross.
2: Yeah.
1: So, but yeah, I mean, he's he's just, what? Caladan drug? What Caladan drug? And, you know, of course, Attic accuses him of knowing about it and, you know, uh, trying to replace it you know the spice shortage and trying to
2: replace it i think what's fascinating (laughs) about that whole story is you know as duke he's like i know my people i know what happens on my planet and suddenly to be told that this is happening right under his nose it's like it's like he feels he feels stupid he's like how can i not know that this is happening and uh and, you know, it's not like he can go to these, these nobles, and, you know, and plead denial. He He's responsible. It's like something happens in my classroom that I don't know about, you know, I'm being called an account to it. And, you know, it's this is frustrating. And suddenly, you know, it's, you're much more vigilant. You're much more aware. And this is what the Duke's doing, right?
1: Yeah. Well, he didn't waste any time. No. Uh Trying to put that down. And, you know, I was really surprised at the amount of resistance that the uh, drug runners were putting up. I didn't think they would have that much. And then the area that they were using to cultivate this thing must have been huge. It sounded like almost a half the planet.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, yeah, a the, the, the lot of resistance, but you understand Jackson Aru is kind of behind it. You know, is kind of, or seems to be somehow in league with it. At least it's indicated toward the end of the book. And suddenly you're like, oh, so this is being financed to, sh- this is financing something way larger, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, it just, it was just something else. Well, and I'll tell you what, some of the images, uh, well, it's one of my favorite points of plot. So I'll, I'll forego that. How about good old Shaddam builds this huge freaking museum to himself on on the planet Otorio. And as you said, he paves over the graves of of people who live there. And then when it gets blown up, he's going to tax everybody to pay for it and make up for the loss.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sounds like a
1: tax on
0: the spice.
1: What a wonderful guy.
0: I like him a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: A hero, a real hero. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: Welcome
2: to corporate America. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, you know, and uh, wow, I can only imagine what that place must have looked like before it got blown up, and um, you know, and how the way they blow they blew it up with the mass drivers and everything that was that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was but, basically a city. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I can just imagine, but good Lord, what, what would somebody want to do with that anyway? He, he sends Vendring to find and find and stop the spice smuggling, but, uh, more or less maybe control the spice smuggling a little bit.
0: Yeah. I don't think And he the... makes
1: an example of the house Verdun yeah. by blowing uh, them all to hell.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Pretty much.
1: Yeah. Um. So you know, I think we've just about covered most yeah. everything that we needed to on this.
0: Yeah, no, there's it really, go ahead. It really, it really is an introduction book. There's not, there's no resolution to any of this, really. No, no, it's it's, it's all set up for for more to come. So
2: I think of, yeah. of I think of these things that are on those lists that we have the the thing that seemed perhaps a bit more far fetched to me than anything because we know where. Paul ends up in Dune, it feels like the thing that felt really like a farce to me is the fact that we're having this political movering for Paul's marriage. And uh, because I'm like, okay, we all know that Paul, but you can probably say that about any event in the book. But in this one, especially, I'm like, seriously, we're going to try to get Paul betrothed. We know this isn't going to work out. The rest of it. Oh, well,
1: we do. But see, this is part of the path of Leto going from just being a common person on a common planet and, and bringing about his ambition to be bigger than he was. You know, this is just one of the contributing factors that got him, got the attention of Shaddam, so Shaddam could put him in a position to be betrayed and moved out of the way.
0: Yeah. I think you could have said the same thing about when they introduced the marriage storyline in the house books. Like you're like, well, we know Leda's not going to get married. Uh, but it was a thing throughout, I think all three of them all the way up until her assassination. Like they came really close to marrying him off Yeah, and and changing. And in yeah. the end, it turned out to be like a kind of, monumental moment instead of just uh like plot grab so i don't know maybe this could turn into something yeah but
1: so favorite points of plot scott you want to
2: yeah take over that um again it it was such a good such a like there were so many good points of the book for me um I love the battle over the uh Caladan the fields where the Caladan trug when they when they when they kind of f- flush out the and you first meet the Tholxu um guy there like that whole battle was pretty um great. I loved the throwback to using shields and the laser guns I thought that, that was a neat tie in Oh gosh the yeah I forgot ones. about that. That you know that that was that was that was really cool and like even like the scene when like they're walking through town and Paul like saves Duncan Idaho when that blast, like some of those are neat, neat spots. But for some reason, the thing that I really, when I go back that I really liked, um, is that Paul proving himself by climbing that cliff that people apparently died from and that his father had forbidden people to climb. And on one hand, he's like, being this rebellious kid, saying, "Okay, Dad, you told people not to do this. I'm going to show you I can do it. I can, and I can accomplish it." So there's that side, but it's more than that. It's he's proving to himself that he's able to be a, in a sense, his is manhood. And for some reason, that scene sticks out to me as one that I like. But I don't know if yeah, it's my favorite. Don't know if it's my favorite point of plot, but it's a point of plot that sticks out for me.
1: That and him saying, "Look, Duncan, what an idiot I am."
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: yeah. But I also, like how Duncan, I also
2: like how Duncan doesn't really judge him and that. It comes alongside him and is there for him if he needs him, but, you know, really kind of walks with him, even though he initially is alarmed and chastised him, you know, in the end kind of walks with him until he finishes him.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I like that scene for the part that you didn't really talk about was that the way that Duncan scolds him and and actually teaches – paul something that i think becomes a core part of his character and that's in putting the people first right above himself because he basically says he's like so you get in trouble for this i get in trouble for this <laughs> you know right if, if you get hurt i'm the one who takes the blame and if i take the blame then so and so also takes the blame right and it's just like think of all the like you're 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 not doing this Stupid thing! You wanted to prove yourself. So true. Isn't doing anything that, that but it's but putting all these other people in jeopardy. Yep. Yeah. And you didn't think about like the you know the rest of the the people that they, that serve you. So
2: yeah, no doubt.
0: So maybe he wouldn't
1: make such a great duke.
2: That, not at that point. <laughs> <Not> yet, yeah, <laughs> it's no, yeah. He's growing into it. Growing into it.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, I, I mean as much as i i felt like it was a bit much i really actually enjoyed the uh the like i don't want to say bombing but the smashing of the city i thought that was kind of a cool story and and it really did hold a lot of weight especially establishing like leto's workers and how they wanted to kind of relax and I like, I, know, like the, I like the, I
2: like the pun up. there. You know, it really held a lot of weight, especially when those rocks crashed down. That was a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of on force, purpose. A lot of force in that. So good. I
0: didn't even realize it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, and I, I actually liked Paul saving uh, um, Duncan Idaho's uh, life with shield kind of accidentally, but on purpose and yeah, there was a lot of little. There wasn't very many like huge, big, big moments other than I, I, like I already mentioned, I liked when they manipulated that girl into hanging your head on the brick. But uh, I think there were a lot of small moments in this one that just kind of like kept my attention pretty good. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: You know, I I'll tell you
1: what. There, for me, as far as a favorite point of plot was concerned, that um, there was there was almost too much. To choose just one thing, you know, but I'll tell you what, when Gurney took off on, a, on that killing spree, running across no shield, <laughs> two swords in his hand, and, you know, just absolutely going after the bad guy, you know, I could just picture in my mind Patrick Stewart running through <laughs> the enemy mercenaries, killing in everything in sight, you know. Uh, a true warrior, and you know when I when I read these people's names, it's the nineteen eighty four Dune cast that I see mm. in my mind, and it and to me, what I read there was just absolutely epic. So I would have to call that my favorite point of plot.
2: It's funny that you mentioned that. Like for me, when I picture like this, I picture the miniseries. Uh, Dune cast. So, like, Duke Leto is like William Hurt, yeah. you know, and he's there, you know, it's uh, for me that, for me, that, that's what captures me in that thing.
1: Jurgen Prokhnov, he is Duke Leto. Okay. He Sorry. is Duke Leto. I mean,
2: yeah. None of those characters
0: speak to me at all in that. Yeah, movie. That's, that's just really,
1: big. oh man. I, I, you know, they, they, uh, w- what I think is they took something and they they did the best they possibly could with it with a the budget for the they most had part. and
2: everything else yeah and,
1: and i mean they the cast was so good i mean you know um sting yeah i i mean come on <laughs>
2: yeah
0: no so, not for me sorry <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah.
2: well each he, <laughs> his own we're allowed we're allowed to like these <laughs> yeah. movies that's fine yeah uh, uh, we
0: can move on here to quotes and such. Sure. uh Jim. I see you got some quotes. Scott, do you have any? I do. Okay. Why don't you guys go ahead and share? Start Jim, with uh, Jim first. here. Okay.
1: Uh, so anyway, as I as I mentioned before, Shaddam leveled a tax to pay for his loss, um, and someone said, "Okay, the tax will last only until it pays the deficit in Shaddam's treasury." After the expense of the Carino Museum and the expansion of his Sardaukar Corps, or, yeah, Sardukar Corps, and then how long will that be? When has a temporary tax ever remained temporary, Rolla asked, sounding shrill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Ain't Facts. that the truth? <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yep. Yeah. Uh, our, our Memorial Stadium here in Nebraska where where the mighty corn huskers play uh was built on liquor and cigarette tax, which has never gone away
2: that's right that's right yep
1: okay and then uh, another quote i had um the, the from uh verdun i applaud your ambition and this is his reply uh at um lido's proposal at a betrothal. I applaud your ambition in trying to join our houses, but I cannot accept the idea of my daughter's betrothal to your bastard son, who is not even a true heir. I mean, if that ain't... A cold slap in the face, man. Wow, boy, that and it's it's
2: fine until you get to his last his last line. Your bastard son, who's not even like I was like, whoa.
1: Yeah, that's like a double-edged sword that went to the right and then came back from the left and hit him again. I mean, it was cold. Yeah.
2: So I think some of my quotes in here are um, quotes that uh, speak to me. I think, especially in our time and where we're at in society in general. And like this one, like truth belongs to those who control that perspective. You know, I think that that was, yeah. a, that was a good quote. And, um, this is another one that I think, I think about this one in the light of Facebook, uh, suspicions have a way of becoming facts, even when they have no basis <laughs> in truth. <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah, I I I had those as well. The only, uh, for the same reason, I had a, another one from uh, Doctor Wellington U in his private medical journals. He says the difference between delirium and insight is only a matter of perspective.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. I liked this is another one that I that I liked. Um, uh The ability to survive is the ability to face and overcome unexpected dangers, and it's a Ben jesuit axiom okay, well, let's move on to our ratings
0: and uh closing thoughts here uh on the book so I guess uh start with your your rating of the book and then uh something do you feel this one is a good starting point? Let's two, twofold. Do you feel like you needed to read the, the three books before it? And do you feel like this is a good starting point for someone who's never read Dune? Or should they start somewhere else? Let's start with Jim.
1: Okay. All right. I thought it's a, this is an amazing story. It directly leads to the events of the original Dune. Uh, all of the intrigue and plotting that leads up to the rise and fall of Duke Leto is, is just excellent. You know, we're getting a glimpse into the circumstances that led to the Baron's sacking from his position on Arrakis and Leto's appointment to govern the govern the planet and the emperor's dealings with overambitious underlings, having, you know, having the benefit of knowing what will happen. It's cool to watch these pieces fall into place. You know, it's kind of like watching how a football game turns out when you already know the score. Um in a good way, okay? Uh, I'm rating it a 5 out of 5, and I'll tell you what, anybody who asks, anybody I talk to, I tell them, read Frank Herbert's Dune first, and then go back and start with uh, the first three books that we read. Um, I can't even remember.
0: Uh Larry and Jihad?
1: Larry. Yeah, But Larry and Jihad. You know, I tell him, read, read Dune first. If you can get through Dune, you can get through the whole series. Yep. So, uh, no, I would say it's not a good place to start, but I would definitely re- recommend this to a Dune fan.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool. Scott? All right. So, um let me start with a rating. I'm with Jim in this. This is a five out of five. Again, for the reasons I gave earlier in the show that – I got to the end and I was like, no, because I didn't realize it was a trilogy and uh, it was sorely disappointed. So I love this book. So um, I- I'm going to say this. You don't have to read the prior three books. And if someone were to come up to me and say, you know what, I, I looked at Dune, man, this is like a five 600-page book. I mean, and, you know, do I really want to get into it? I think that Dune in today's society, a diffi- it is difficult for people to get into because of it's It's a very heady book. And if I want to say, well, I, I might say to someone that's maybe not a serious sci-fi but, fan, but wants to get some background into it, I think that this book is a good introduction into you know, both House Harkonnen and and uh, and House of Traities, and even the Emperor, and you get to the little the manipulations of the Bene Gesserits, all of which play into into a Dune eventually. And so I think that this is a good setup for, the, for those books, so that when they get to those books, obviously they would have to wait because we have two more books in this series, but let's say they were all out. All three books were out this would be a good setup to go into Dune proper and understanding the families and their ambitions and their political connivings. We're getting a good introduction into it so that when we get to it, we can kind of wade through some of the ponderousness of Dune. And while it's a phenomenal book, I think for especially today's society, it's a little bit, unless you're dedicated to Dune, it's a little bit... Uh, weighty to get through um so i i think this is this is a great series to kind of set up dune okay.
0: um yeah i i thought the book was fine a real middle of the road for me as far as compared to other dune books i think maybe it might be because i loved the the last series they writ, wrote sorry so much uh which was the school books that were just the school books were top-notch Brian Herbert, Kevin J. Anderson material. Um, I really love what they did. I think I was just expecting that level, and it's not here. Um, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5. Um, just straight up middle of the road. It's not bad. It's not great. I think the next books will be way more solid uh, once things get moving here. Uh, there's some really good plot lines to explore that really didn't get set up until towards the end. Uh, You know, they were kind of strung along and then didn't gain any speed till then, like the the Chom stuff and the Harkonnen and the Carino, like uh, skimming the spice and that kind of thing. So I'm excited to see what happens there. Uh, I'm really, really pumped to find out, like Jim said, that the next book comes out uh, this year. So hopefully to that. um, Would I recommend this as a starting point? No. Uh, If you were going to start with something other than Dune, uh, and I, my first thing would be, to say, to start with Butler and Jihad, but if I knew it wasn't someone who would care about reading six books before reading another six books before getting to Dune, I might say start it at House Atreides, uh, because I do feel like the prequel books add a lot to this book, and without them, while necessary, you don't necessarily need to, to know things. They do reference them quite often, and I think that that it's some knowledge that would be be beneficial to have uh, for the storylines, so
2: that's where I sit with that. So the rant master's hmm. back. I like this. So <laughs> rant that's going not, on there at the beginning. So. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean,
0: this, yeah, but it's not
2: harsh. Uh, like, well, well like that is harsh. I've heard you give worse rants, but it's still a rant.
1: Oh yeah, I, I yeah. think yeah. I I think David was very fair. I really do. Um, you. I try be,
2: because it.
1: it you know the all these things don't appeal to everybody, so overall, that gives us a four point three out of five,
2: right. which is
1: a decent rating.
2: Yep. Yeah, I agree. I'm yeah.
1: not. I'm not sure where it is on Goodreads or Amazon yet.
2: Uh, Goodreads. Uh, it has it at Goodreads. Oh, stop! I don't care about that. Goodreads <laughs> has it at a, a a little bit over. Uh, f- uh, might be a four. It's about a four. Okay, three point, so we're three, close. 3.84 so a little bit Turn lower in the ballpark yeah yep.
0: now uh, next Dune book that we read will probably be at least the first half of the Dune graphic novel that came out this one right, not this, sure this when one right here yeah ex- that one right there okay. now, I'm not sure when we'll get around to that but uh, that will probably be the next Dune saga podcast episode uh, for your listening I know that Last time we talked, we were gonna review Dune. Uh the Frank Herbert's Dune. Uh again for the movie. Uh we we're gonna try and get like all three of these out real quick. But with the movie postponed till at least October of next year. Uh we're just gonna hold off on that until it's closer to yeah, the movie we have comes time. out. You no, know, the next
1: and- the next book will be out before the movie's out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So Well, hopefully we'll get to the graphic novel here. I don't know if we'll do it right now or wait till the the second one comes out. That's later this year as well and do one fell swoop. We could. But, uh, yeah. I'm going to be honest.
2: If we're going to do, if we're going to do the graphic novel, do we really need, I guess we can still do Dune, but they they kind of, I mean, it's the same story, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think we should do them farther apart
0: because I think reviewing Dune, the actual book, the real book, when the close to when the movie comes out has a lot of like crossover stuff. I agree. But yeah. Uh, I think the graphic novel's worth looking at. It looks pretty amazing. Yep. Um, so but if you're an Orbital Sword listener, which is a, a podcast we do with some irregularity, we switch between sci-fi and fantasy books. And this being our sci-fi, that means the next book that we're going to be read be reading is Tower of Dawn by Sarah J. Mass, which is uh book six or seven. Six. In the throne of book six in the throne of glass series. And there's a total of seven. So we're almost the whole way through that. Um, so we've got that set up. Then we have another great sci-fi book called uh, Red Herring. Was that what's called? Red Feather? Red Rising. It's called Red Rising. That's the sci-fi book we're going to be doing after Tower of Dawn. So if you like um, r- our reviews of books and you like sci-fi, and you like fantasy, definitely join us over at the Orbital Sword, which can be found on all your podcast venues. So now, best way to contact us if you want to talk about Dune, is Dunsaka Podcast at Gmail dot com, or if you want to talk to us about general book reading, is to hit us up at Orbital Sword at Gmail dot com. Of course, we have a voicemail that you can also call. And Scott, what's that number? Oh, I don't have it in front of me right now. It's one two six zero five seven seven chat. That's one two six zero five seven seven two four two eight. We're also on Twitter, uh, Dunsaka Podcast, and at Orbital Sword, uh, and we've got Dunsaka dot com as well as Orbital dot com. Uh, mm-hmm. Thanks everyone who has supported us on Patreon, both now and in the past. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, that's a, a great way to uh, help keep us going. So once again, for the Orbital Sword and the Dune Saga podcast, I'm David Moulton.
2: I'm Scott Herzog.
1: And I'm Jim Arrowood. And may Shai Hulud clear the path before you.
2: Very good.
1: And also... Uh, And join us next time On board the Orbital Sword
2: Yeah, absolutely (laughs) Yes